Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It was 2004 and an Australian who goes by the pseudonym Juan Man was feeling a bit depressed. He got the idea to stand in the middle of a busy shopping area in Sydney with a sign and the sign said, free hugs. I was going to stay for one hour, hug as many people as I could, and then I was going to put my free hug sign away. And the first lady that hugged me told me about her daughter dying a year ago that day, and her daughter's dog dying that morning, and how, you know, just seeing me standing there with a free hug sign gave her hope and cheered her up a little bit on, you know, this saddest day of her year. And I kind of stood there and thought, I'm doing this for fun. But if it means something to her and it's just fun to me, then... It wouldn't be really nice of me to stop. So he kept going, and that day he stayed for eight hours and gave out hundreds of hugs. But even then he couldn't stop. He came back every Thursday afternoon for weeks and then months, and as word got out, a free hugs movement spread around the world. Everyone needs a hug now and then. You don't know what anybody's going through. So just one hug can change somebody's day, can impact somebody, that can even change their life. So that's why I'm out here. Okay, Jing in the house, willing to give free hugs to strangers. Jakarta, it's happening. Are you shy? I certainly enjoyed my hug. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, and I enjoyed my hug too. I think free hugs is a great idea. And it makes me want to hug my friends. Aww. Hugging's good. I'm serious. No hugging. It's addictive. It's cool. So what is it about a hug that can feel so special? What can some human touch, even from a stranger, do to make a difference in our lives? These are questions that Michael Bannessy tries to answer in his latest book. He's a professor of psychological science at the University of Bristol, and that book is called Touch Matters, Handshakes, Hugs, and the New Science on How Touch Can Enhance Your Well-Being. Michael, hello. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I want to talk about the book in a moment, but go back to the guy who's handing out free hugs and had the sign saying free hugs. You came face to face with somebody who was offering free hugs when you were in Australia. What was that like? Yeah, it was um, It's quite a powerful memory, actually. It's uh, at the time, I mean, it was around a decade ago now, but um, I'd actually broken up with a, a long, in a long-term relationship, had come to an end. And um I'm one of these people who in those scenarios kind of often buries themselves in work. And <laughs> that Australia trip was maybe the first time after a long flight where I'd had time to really process and be thinking quite a lot. And I was I was just walking around the city and I just saw out the corner of my eye in, in one of these parks just someone with this this free hug sign. And I thought, you know, why why the hell not? <laughs> and uh, that, that hug in that moment, um, yeah, it's still one of those hugs that I remember as you know, one of those significant ones in, in my life because it just kind of, yeah, it was just a moment of, I suppose, support and um, mutual connection with somebody in a place where I was a stranger. Yeah, it just had a powerful effect. What do we know about that? I mean, this is a huge part of this book. What does the science tell us about why a hug makes you feel better? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those interesting things. Like a lot of us, I think, will kind of naturally know that, yeah, if someone gives a supportive hug, it can feel nice. But 
we don't often stop and think about what it might be doing to us at a biological level or, you know, in a more kind of psychological way. And actually, research now is increasingly showing that these kind of simple, supportive tactile behaviours like hugs, they can they can do things like reduce stress and anxiety. So you can see changes in things like people's cortisol, which is a stress hormone. It can lower blood pressure and it can even boost our immune system. Um, and there's there's been quite a few studies on this now, but one of my favourite ones actually was a study that happened in uh, the US. It was based in the kind of Pittsburgh area. The researchers tracked how often people had hugs for two weeks. And then they brought people into the lab after that two-week period and they, they gave them the common cold. They gave them a virus effectively. And they just monitored how did the symptoms develop. And they found that those people that had had more hugs in the two weeks beforehand were less likely to develop the symptoms. They were less likely to get sick. Um, and some of this is, you know, thought to be because actually hugs reflect social support. Um, hugs can have physiological effects on us. And all these combinations can then have positive effects on our health and our well-being. What's going on within us when, I mean, social support is one thing, calling somebody up or checking in on them. But when you have, when you are touched by another human being, what's actually happening within us? There's different ways in which this plays out, but um, you, you often find that, you know, when you have these supportive social touches, um, be that a hug, be that somebody holding your hand, uh, be that a kind of gentle caress on, on your arm, you see release of a whole mixture of hormones that um, play a role often in calming us. Um, so one of the major one is one called oxytocin. Uh, people often talk about this as a kind of it's a bonding hormone but oxytocin also has an impact on our parasympathetic nervous system if you think about scenarios where maybe you have a scary environment you might trigger a kind of fight or flight response you kind of want to your body's ramped up your your parasympathetic nervous system actually often kind of tries to bring a sense of calm and bring us back to rest relaxation baseline state um, you also see release of other hormones that are often involved in the processing of rewarding environmental stimuli. So you see things like dopamine. Um, you also see things like serotonin, which is often connected to happiness. So you see a whole mixture of uh, biological responses playing out, all connected to this idea of calm, relaxation, but also something that the body finds rewarding and positive. I mean, you can imagine, and that's the scientific response, just in terms of how people feel, they respond differently when it comes to thinking about, about you know, as you said, holding somebody's hand or getting a hug yeah. from somebody or what have you. You asked in this study, you asked people to think of three words that describe the meaning of touch in their lives. What did you learn from that? Yeah, so so this was a study which we did in the early part of 2020. We had around... 40,000 plus people worldwide taking part. And, you know, there was lots of questions in it, but but this very simple one of what does touch mean to you? And we asked people to come up with the three most common words um, that they thought, single words. And what we saw across, across people was a surprising consistency because words like warmth, love, um, support, cooperation, these words just came out time and time again. They came out across different world regions. They came out across... Um, different genders. They came across sort of whether people had health conditions or not. There was a whole range of factors that played out there. And I thought this was quite informative, really, because it's absolutely true to say there's a lot of variability 
in what touch can mean from one situation to another or from one person to another it is it is nuanced but at the same time at its heart for for the majority of us that idea of touch being this kind of supportive sense is there when do we start to figure that out that the physical touch actually is 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 something that can be beneficial when in our own lives do we start to notice this the data on this shows that even from some of our first moments touch can play this this really powerful role i mean you often see this in um babies that are born prematurely so there's a lot of data showing there that kind of just being kind of held and having body-to-body contact or even things like gentle kind of massage that's there can see these babies put on more weight and be released from hospital earlier. They might cry less. They may have better sleep patterns. So just just generally when babies are born, I mean, that whole idea of skin contact, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so you see the evidence of it very early. Um, Now, this is where it becomes interesting as we get older because we probably start to learn that it, it's more complicated than that, to be fair, because I think that's where this kind of, you know, sadly, you know, we've seen more often than not recently how touch has been abused by many people and many, many parts of society. And so I think it, it rightly maybe builds more a sense of us questioning the meaning of touch. Do you understand why, I mean, you said when you saw the person with with the free hug sign, you said, why the hell not? Um, and you'd been yeah. going through a breakup and you went over to the person. Do you understand why some people might run screaming from that person with the sign? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, and there's there's many reasons for that, right? I mean, prior experiences of touch is, is one. Um, I mean, to be honest, I was surprised I, I actually went for it. I'm a pretty reserved British guy. <laughs> Um, so, so I was, I was really surprised at myself, but in that moment, in that context, you know, often when I talk about it, people say, well, I'm just saying, oh, I was on holiday, you know, nobody knew me. Um, but it's interesting to ask, would I have done it in my own country? I don't know. I would have. But people so people are, get divided, right? You could say, are you a hugger yeah. or not? And, and yeah. that's like a loaded question, but it also tells you a lot about who the person is or isn't. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I I think that's the key. And and I think it's also really important that we recognise that when we're talking about the ways in which touch can be beneficial, because it's one thing to, you know, uh, your partner maybe holding your hand or giving you a hug before a stressful event, but you might feel very differently if that was a random stranger, for instance. Mm. You know, I might really appreciate my partner giving me, you know, a, a kind of rub a massage on my shoulder or something like that when we're relaxing on the couch. But if my partner came and started doing that just randomly in public, I might not feel so comfortable about that, right? So there can be nuances even within that same person. So there's a lot of nuance to touch. Uh, I talk about this quite a lot in the book. I think we do have to really balance, you know, as an individual, our personalities may interact with our preferences for touch. Our prior experiences will interact with our preferences for touch. Even things like our age, our gender, all these factors can play a role. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Let me talk about a couple of specific settings um, outside of on the street with the person with the sign. One is, this is so interesting in the book, um, you take a look at sports and what happens, what we can learn about touch, particularly from the NBA, the National Basketball Association. Yeah, so this was, um, yeah, so 
some really interesting work on touch and sport. It's one of the, the few places we see it so publicly so often, actually. And work on this has actually shown that if you look at um, teams that touch more during preseason, at least in the NBA, um, there was some work done in, in, on this from um, researchers based in Berkeley uh, in, in the US. And what they found there was that the teams that touched more during the preseason um, went on to win more games. They were, they were certain types of touches, right? So they were things like fist bumps, high fives, the kind of hands in, so placing hands on one another and, yeah. and lifting those hands out. So those signs of team cohesion. And of course, we have to really balance the results there because, you know, you're asking, is it is it the touch that then leads to the better performance or is the touch just a sign of the team being more well-connected and more cohesive? It's always difficult with those types of studies to unpack that. But you don't just see this in things like um, the NBA. So other studies have shown things like if people have handshakes before they engage in negotiations, uh, often you'll find that people, when they're negotiating, will lean in more together. They will come to more common outcomes, like joint agreement. But if they don't handshake, they're less likely to. So, you know, subtle touches are having these impacts on our daily interactions all the time. And they can really play out, certainly in, in business settings, um, in quite powerful ways. Tell me more about that in the, in the workplace in particular, because, I mean, that's, you know, the, the court uh, is where the NBA players work. I'm working in a studio. If you were here face to face with me, you know, I'd shake your hand before we talked and I'd shake your hand after. But that's that's a different kind of touch than other sorts of touch, particularly between employees. And that can be tricky for all sorts of obvious reasons, including abuse and harassment and what have Absolutely. you. How does this play out? How does touch play out in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, as, as you allude to, I mean, touch in the workplace, it's, it's a sensitive matter. And um, and I think it has to be approached with care because, you know, there's there's all sorts of all sorts of reasons, not just in terms of uh, the workplace norms themselves, but obviously individual preferences. And so um, there is evidence that, you know, subtle touches can have beneficial impacts. So mentioned handshaking there's there's also evidence that even you know simple touches like somebody kind of placing a brief brief hand on someone's arm uh, and then just taking it away can lead to more positive appraisals of that person um, in terms of the trait judgment so there are these effects there but of course there's a there's a nuance to that because in those scenarios you know those touches are often perceived as being appropriate. And of course, if if someone's placing a hand on someone's arm and it's not viewed appropriate, it can have a very opposite effect. Mm. Um, and so this is one of the challenges because I think, you know, in what if, for instance, we were in the same workplace right now and, you know, one of our colleagues was crying in front of me, do I, do I just stand back and be completely passive or do I give them a hug? Which or, is what often happens what now because we're afraid yeah. if, if you were to give that person a hug, that could be interpreted poorly. You could you could find yourself in, in, in hot water. Yeah. It, it's trying to figure out what the, you know, consent and permission and, and what's appropriate in those spaces. It, exactly, exactly. And, and I think, you know, in, in the end, you know, if we're ever uncertain about consent or physical consent, then I think, you know, my general view would be, well, or don't engage in the behavior until you're you're really confident on that. And and also it's perfectly fine to ask, you know. Can I ask you about just briefly about non-human touch? I mean, there's a lot in the yeah. book about robots. Um, yeah. I also think about haptics. Like I have a watch on which will buzz for any number of things, and that's a kind of touch, right? 
Yeah, it is. It is. And it, and it's actually increasingly, I think, um, going to become a, a big part of our world. So so people talk a lot these days about a, a branch of technology called haptic wellness. And so this is things, for instance, like your watch, where your watch might um, be, it might buzz at a certain frequency um, that might help to induce a slow, relaxed heart rate mm-hmm. to reduce your anxiety. Um, it might be slightly more than that. It might be that going back to the notion that if you have a hug from somebody else, a physical hug, that might help your health and well-being because that person is showing you social support. Well, what if you're in a relationship where you you can't have that? I don't know, because your family and friends live miles away, um, you know, and what if instead, you know, those same family and friends could still show you social support by sending you to your watch a supportive buzz on your on your wrist does that or, do anything for us does that do you talked about what the hug would do it's different than a hug but does it does it give us anything similar yeah well this is the thing so this is where the research is starting to look because there's now even things like shirts you can wear that give you a hug um, <laughs> that are sent by other people and people are now trying to look and say well do these work as effectively as, as a real physical touch and um the data's a bit mixed on it there have been some studies showing some benefits there but there are also some that don't find the benefits so it's, it's very early but on the flip side there are other examples where people might interact and touch robotic pets so this has often worked in in care homes um where um people have particularly looked in in elderly in the elderly and seen that you know sometimes actually getting the elderly members of a care home to engage in stroking robotic seals <laughs> um, can lead to similar benefits as touching real pets um, and stroking real pets. So you can think about touch in two ways, one being the recipient, but two also being active. Um, and we know that, you know, engaging in active touch to uh, things that we find supportive in our environment can also benefit things like our stress response and our health and our well-being. And so you see it there too. What happens if we don't get that touch? I mean, I think, and you mentioned health and well-being of what we all went through during COVID, where I certainly wouldn't be shaking your hand and I wasn't giving people hugs, um, yeah. even close, close family members, where we stood on the other side of, of, of a room if we were even inside. What, what happens to us if we don't get those moments yeah, of so touch? There's, 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 two, there's two elements to not getting enough touch. One is when you're completely touch-deprived, and, and that can lead to some very serious negative outcomes, Um in terms of health, well-being. Um, and then another example is where you do have some touch in your life, but you're not getting as much touch as you desire. And we call this touch hunger. So when the amount of touch you have doesn't align with the amount of touch that you desire, you have this feeling of touch hunger. And people have found that, um, particularly Corey Floyd, who's a researcher at the University of Arizona, um, has done quite a lot of work on this and, and shown that increased feelings of touch hunger um, can be connected to increased feelings of loneliness, increased anxiety, depression, so a series of negative mental health outcomes. And we did um, during the COVID lockdowns, um, not just, you know, my own lab, but also other labs in Europe and and in, in the US, um, found that actually there was an increased incidence of touch hunger, perhaps not surprisingly. And a number of groups have connected this to, again, kind of negative mental health outcomes. There's a link between them. Um, but it's it's also important in this just to note something which is a lot of that work has looked at kind of frequency of touch so how often are you getting touch um 
And that was the early part of the work. But the work nowadays kind of suggests it's more about the quality mm. necessarily over the quantity. Because for one person, you know, maybe you only need that one person that gives you that supportive touch and that's, that's going to be the right amount. But for another, perhaps it needs to be multiple areas where it's coming in. We talk a lot about loneliness and the crisis of loneliness um, mm. and how this is, this is, yeah, it has real physical health impacts as well as mental health impacts. Are we in a crisis of touch, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is um, this is one of those questions where I, I'm always never sure quite how to answer it. And it's, it's just partly because I feel like when people talk about crisis and epidemics, I, I kind of feel that I'm, I'm a psychologist. I'm not the person <laughs> best place to kind of pin down um, where we're at with those. But I guess I, the I question think, in um, part is important because of how we communicate these days. I mean, whether it's we aren't seeing even outside of, of isolation times, you, you're people are communicating more virtually. People are using chatbots, people yeah. are, and, and you're not actually seeing somebody. You can't give somebody a hug because the person isn't there in front of you. And, and I think, and I think this does cause a big, a big shift for us. And, and, and that for me, I think is, is then about us getting a greater awareness about what is that quality of touch that really matters to mm -hmm. people. Um, you can have lots of people around you sometimes and still feel lonely. You could have lots of touch around you and still feel lonely. And I think we just need to kind of think about those nuances of it and get conversations going around that. Um, but to maybe answer your question more directly about the crisis side of things, I, I, I do think there are certain examples where we're, we're teetering on the edges of, of what personally, whether we want to define it as a crisis, whether we want to define it as a, a real a point, an important point for reflection of, of have we gone too far. When I was writing the book, I, I came across uh, a, a story um, about, it was a school in, in the US where two children, they got in a fight, then perhaps naturally, you know, they were suspended from school. But then what I was then explained to was that the reason they were suspended was not because of the fight, but because afterwards <laughs> they hugged the teacher. <laughs> and there's this view that, you know, you shouldn't be hugging in school. Mm -hmm. And those types of examples worry me a bit, right? Because there's a real balance there. I mean, I think naturally we are more mindful and more careful of touch yeah. um, in society. And I think there's been lots of very important conversations around this and we still need to be mindful of it but at the same time we don't want to go so far that you know we are we're removing those moments where i think if there is a you know for instance a child very upset in front of you interacting with a teacher what's the balance there how do we strike that what should we be just finally what should we be thinking about i find that the older i get um, i see my friends and i hug them i don't that that's the first thing we do um, yeah. And that's because we're old and we're happy to see them and we're happy that they're there <laughs> to be seen. If people feel like there is not enough of that human contact um, in their lives, what, sh what should they be thinking about? What, what, what can they do about that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, different, there's different ways to, that people can approach it. I mean, I think one is, is voicing up about our desires and preferences because, I mean, how often do we actually stop and ask someone or try to understand whether they're, they're getting that touch or that physical connection in their lives. You know, even if, for instance, you've got a long-term partner around, when was the last time you checked that the type of physical comfort you give them is the same type of experience that they, they desire now that they desired years ago? Mm. Um, so there's that side of it. But then, you know, you might find yourself in a situation where you're, you're just very isolated. You don't have those people around you. And, and there, 
it's kind of important to remember a few things. So one is potentially looking for those opportunities where you might bring it in. A really good example could be something like a social garden, actually. So some of the community gardening, because there you're going to get tactile interaction because you're going to be touching plants. You're going to be doing this. You can bring it into your own life that way. But you're also going to potentially get the chance to connect with others and interact, right? The other thing that I think is important as well um, about touch is that when I spoke about the work on hugging and that you can get benefits from supportive hugs from other people, you can also get benefits from supportive touch that you give yourself. So there was a really nice study on this recently that compared the impact of somebody giving themselves a supportive hug themselves before giving a stressful talk, or if they had a hug from a friend or a partner before that talk, or if they had other forms of touch or no touch at all. And what they found in this study was that at least when it came to cortisol levels, so that release of the stress hormone, that self-touch as well as touch from other people when it was supportive was beneficial. So there are ways that we can you know, provide self-soothing touch, as it were, that can be helpful for us too. This is really who we are, right? I mean, we're social beings. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, fundamentally, I think, you know, we are, our social world is so important um, to every aspect of our lives. Um, and you know, that, that is that is somewhat, for me at least, very much a nature of humanity. I'm really glad to talk to you about this, Michael. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for talking. Michael Banasi is a professor of psychological science at the University of Bristol. His book is called Touch Matters, Handshakes, Hugs, and the New Science on How Touch Can Enhance Your Well-Being. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.